You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. But if you would with me, please turn to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Thank you, Thomas. My bad. I apologize. Sometimes I talk too fast. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urged Titus, that is, he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command but is proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And I, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want, that their abundance also may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Father, it is with incredible gratefulness that we consider the sovereign decision of the Lord Jesus Christ to make himself poor so that we could be eternally rich. And as we contemplate that this morning and look into this section of of your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would impart to us the illumination, the teaching, and the necessary grace to carry out in your world today, just as Jess talked about this morning, the impact that you intended the gospel to have on others so that they might know that there is a God in heaven, that he is great, and that we love him. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. So for those of you who attend here regularly, this is no mystery. Oh, by the way, new new technology, what do you think? I don't know that they should test it on me, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Normally our teaching elder is Jim Osmond. He is away as soon as the election happened. He fled to Canada. We are in negotiation with the Premier of Canada right now to get him back. It's very possible he will be back by next Sunday. So, much to your delight. Anyway, he's actually away writing, finishing up a book. And so he has some of the other elders stand in for him when he's gone. Several months ago, I preached what was probably the first message on giving this church has had in years, if not decades. And it was not by design. It was the same thing that happened when we had the the same-sex 
uh, symposium that we where we actually met in off off premise and and uh, dealt with what's going on in our culture today. How many of you attended that? And it was good. Yes, it was wonderful. Um, so this is just the second in a series, a two message series of giving. The first I gave several months ago. I it was back in the spring, I think, and it it touched on the um, principles of giving. And then this message is a much more comfortable way of doing it for me where I actually walk through a section of Scripture, a book of Scripture, uh, which 1 Corinthians, even as Thomas was reading that, I was trying to figure out how I could ex- eisegete that into the system, but it just it wasn't happening. So we're going to stick with the actual Word of God. Um, 2 Corinthians 8 is a story that Paul has. So um, throughout this message... I'm going to be referring to the word grace. This is the call in the design of God and his wisdom and, direct, and method of directing us, directing his children to be obedient to him. But before we do that, um, I would like to review it fairly quickly. I'll speak slowly, but we'll go fairly quickly through the principles that we discussed in that first message several months ago. And uh, I won't be giving all the detail below, just the headlines. If someone would like to have that text, you're welcome to email me and I'll send it to you. So as we talked about giving those months ago, we mentioned that you must earn the right to give by taking care of those under your responsibility first, mentioning that if you if that one who would um, would does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household has denied the the faith. And then we talked about the way that 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 privilege, the privilege of giving is earned. You have earned that right because you don't love money and you know that loving it causes all kinds of harm and grief. Secondly, you have earned that right because you don't put your faith and trust in money, which is, in fact, idolatry. Thirdly, you have earned that right because you don't seek to be rich. You work hard and do your very best and you leave the results to God. If he chooses to make you wealthy, so be it. You will use that wealth wisely to serve him. Fourth, you have earned that right because you don't steal. You earned your money. Fifth, you have earned that right because you have proper spending habits. You take care of your family, you pay your debts, you save, and because you have been diligent in these things, because you have been diligent in these things, uh, you, you are a giver. You are able to give. Giving should be done, we talked about, systematically and thoughtfully. It should be first to the ministry of your local church after you take care of your family. Isn't it wonderful how fast I can go through pages when the font is 14? Giving should secondarily be to the needy in your family, then your church body, moving outside the body when the needs of the body are met. There were 94 verses in the Old Testament and 20 in the New Testament minimum that talk about giving. Giving should be done in secret. And with that in mind, let us now look at Paul's teaching, as it were, by giving the Corinthians a history and even a blow-by-blow explanation of how the churches in Macedonia treated giving. This section in 2 Corinthian Corinthian actually goes from chapter 8, verse 1, to about the middle of chapter 9. I was afraid many of you would fall over dead if we tried to cover that much today. I would have. I'm a verse-by-verse guy and and, uh, love to just dig deep into God's Word um, I f- am so grateful that Jim paved the way last week by going through that many verses of Ecclesiastes. I knew if it could be done under the sun by Jim, it could be done. So, uh, the collections for the saints in Jerusalem. 
were mentioned in Romans 15:26. They occurred over a five-year period, uh, from about A.D. 52 to about A.D. 57. Paul asked for money from the churches of Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, and Aged Minor. When he finally took the gifts to the Corinthians in Jerusalem, he was accompanied by members of those churches that were mentioned in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 4 specifically says this. And Paul, he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychicus of Tropimus, and Tropimus of Asia. So the object of the gifts in this period of time where Paul was collecting from the Macedonian and the Corinthian uh, believers, was the Hebrew Christians in Jerusalem. They had very likely become poor because of their conversion to Christianity. In those days, uh, converting to Christianity would often lose you your job, it would lose you your, your, your family. It, 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 it was a great, uh, it, was a, it was an incredibly brave thing to do, if you will. <laughs> so, there was a communal sharing talked about in Acts where they brought all their things together and they shared them so nobody had any needs. And that took care of a lot of the needs, but it did not meet all of the Jerusalem needs for over the years. It's very likely that in these early days of the church, Jerusalem being the center of the church, of the gospel, where the, the word of God went out for the most part, it was, it's very likely that they were responsible for sending more teachers, more emissaries, more missionaries for the gospel. And this cost money. It cost a great deal of money. So the Jews at that time had to pay double taxes, both to Rome and to the Jewish authorities. We can all relate to that, paying double taxes. Um, it's important to keep this in mind. We can all relate so that the gifts that Paul was soliciting here were for a truly needy church. They weren't for just somebody who wasn't working, who didn't have anything else to do. They were for a truly needy church in Jerusalem. Um, it's important to keep that in mind as we work through these next few verses. Now, although this is the second letter of the Corinthians in, in our scriptures, we know that Paul mentioned this collection of gifts in 1 Corinthians 16. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Now, it is thought that the Corinthians had dropped the project of raising money for the Jerusalem church, possibly because of the controversies that had developed concerning Paul and which the Corinthians had written to him about. We are looking at that in our Sunday school class in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, now concerning those things you wrote to me about, and then he deals, he begins dealing through 1 Corinthians 7 through about 12 of all the things that were in this letter that the Corinthians wrote. It's thought that maybe those controversies had, had caused the Corinthian church to drop the collection for the churches in Jerusalem, to stop doing it for whatever reason. Paul responded to their concerns, and it seems that they had positively responded again, and, and they are the collection. So he brings it to their attention again. He's bringing this to their attention again in Corinth. What we talked about before, helping the church in Jerusalem, I'm reminding you. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Paul doesn't bring up the law. He doesn't bring up commands. He challenges them with a group from Macedonia. Now, they were poor, as it was at the time, but yet they were giving by grace. First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians 8. We'll be back into idols if we're not careful. 8, 1 through 3. Now, brethren... 
We wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Paul does not give what might be called a didactic teaching here. He rather uses the churches of Macedonia as an example to the Corinthians. He draws their attention to an area of the Roman Empire that they would know well about. This area of Macedonia and Greece, they both, they had a long-standing history of competition. And Paul makes masterful use of that history as he challenges the Corinthians. He's making, he's making reference to the churches he planted on his second missionary journey, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Then in verse two, it says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. These Macedonian churches had um, have been undergoing affliction and poverty. Now, sometimes in our modern day world, we don't think that they went through the same things that we went through. They got diseases just like we do. They went to doctors just like we do. They struggled under inflation just like we do. Some of what was going on in first century in first century uh, Rome was the result of the emperor's Nero's decision to make 96 denarii out of a block of silver that used to be used to make 84 denarii. That was a 15% decrease in the value of their money. Boom, just like that. Today we do it with numbers on a page, ledgers on uh, bits in a computer. But inflation is very real. For those of you who are, understand this, bear with me. But for example, if you had put $100 in um, one of the local banks in 1970, and you went to draw it out today, that $100 would have shrunk to a buying power of $17 today. The same thing was happening to the Christians and the Jews and the, and the residents of first century Rome. The emperors, in their, in their interest of uh, pursuing empire and conquering nations, now as we know, and Jesus talked about this, they don't tax themselves, they tax their provinces. And so the provinces would come under a heavy tribute. Tribute. They would be paying the taxes that, that nobody else was paying. And so the Romans were pursuing this empire vision. And the taxes and the reduction of, of the uh, uh, denarii, and I don't want to get into the whole history of it, but it's a very incredibly interesting study. By the 4th century, 90% inflation had occurred, and wheat had, had increased in price by almost 500,000%. Not 500%, not 5,000%, but 500,000%. So this was some of what the Jerusalem Christians were struggling with. They were struggling with the taxation. They were struggling with difficulties to get jobs, just like it is today. When, when taxes are high and inflation is a problem, jobs are hard to get. Same thing in first century um, Palestine. Same thing. We, they struggled under the very same things we struggle under. So their response, however to this affliction, by the grace of God, was joy. Joy unspeakable. And that's why I couldn't say anything there for a minute. Joy unspeakable, pure, and an example to everyone who follows that circumstances do not control. And this was the example that those those Macedonian believers gave. Their response to poverty was liberality. That is a word, this word liberality means an openness of heart and honesty that results in beneficence, giving, and liberality. So their heart was open to other people's needs, irrespective of their particular station in life, their particular income, their particular income stream, I guess you would call it. That's what they call it today. They gave, though they were poor. In fact, they said, please let us give, even though we are poor. 
Verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. The great subject, the overarching subject here is the grace of God. Paul does not command. He does not control. He does not manipulate. He does not beat the Corinthians over the head with anything. He reports to the Corinthians what the mighty grace of the Holy Spirit had accomplished in believers, and he puts that up as an example to these believers in Corinth. Of course, we know that since this example to the Corinthians in this letter was inspired by the Holy Spirit for Paul to write, that it's an example for us today as well. The grace of God, the grace of God is all that is needed to move his people to do what needs to be done. And it is to be remembered that God directs action, not just feeling. It would be one thing if the churches in Macedonia had sent letters expressing their concern and hope for the betterment of the Christians in Jerusalem, decrying the inflation, hoping they'd find jobs, etc. But rather, um, and as I was studying this this morning again, um, several more things came to mind. And you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to add to a sermon when you finished it. But, uh, oh well. Several things came to mind. The grace of God directs them. They didn't just send a letter. They responded as James said in chapter 2. What use is it, my brethren? Verse 14. If a man says he has faith but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and indeed, this was some of what was going on in first century Jerusalem. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So the, the Macedonian Christians didn't write letters. They didn't invoke pr- just prayer. They prayed and they sent. They gave. They did much more of that. They gave of their own accord and beyond their ability. Now, that's not to say they went into debt or borrowed money. That's to say that they depended upon God They depended upon the grace of God so that their giving was magnified way beyond the amount they gave. Now, I don't know how that works. I wish I had an elect, I wish I had a a formula for you. But when God moves his people to give and they give, somehow he magnifies it. And it does far more than what it should be able to do. It's like the, the, the bumblebee can't fly, but it does. And this amount of money can't do that. But it does, because God, by his grace, does it. Verses 4 through 8, verse 4. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. Imagine being so committed to something that you heard about that you contacted the person overseeing the project and begged him to let you be involved. You weren't, you didn't want anything. You weren't going to receive anything out of it. You wanted to give. You wanted to give something. The word translated comes, begging comes from the deep The idea of a deep, heartfelt, personal need that drives one to earnestly beseech. The urging, the word urging, comes from the Greek word from which we get one of the names of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, parakaleo, to come alongside. Uh, And as I was reading this, what came to mind in our modern age was someone running alongside a car, begging a driver to take a gift from them. Would you please take this? I don't know why they felt they had to urge Paul this way unless because of their deep poverty, Paul was concerned that their gift might not further impoverish them. They were concerned that he might see that their their gift would further impoverish them. But it's interesting to note that uh, the ones who have, if, ones who have experienced poverty and, and want, 
are generally the ones who are often the most giving. Um, one commentator said it this way, the example of the Macedonians is practical proof that true generosity is not the prerogative of those who enjoy inadequacy of means. The most genuine liberality is frequently displayed by those who have the least to give. A Christian, Christian giving is estimated in terms of quantity, not in, excuse me, Christian giving is estimated not in terms of quantity, but of sacrifice. The wondrous and interesting thing is, is that if God intended to, he could move the hearts of a couple of billionaires and boom, it would be done. It would be over. The need would be over. But the fact is, that's not how he works. He works through the hearts of individual Christians to cause them to desire to do what he, his will and to do it delightedly. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. This creates community and it strengthens the bonds of love within a body. I can remember when groceries showed up on our doorstep. And I don't know, I, to this day, I have no idea where they came from. We've done, we, we, it, it, it's a remarkable thing. We knew it came from the body and it, so what you have to do then is you shotgun your love to the whole body since you don't know which one it was. Probably shouldn't use that term. This is redneck preaching at its best. You love everyone in the body. You know someone in that body, God moved them to do something and they did it. And it relieved a true need. Okay, this verse, and this, verse 5. And Paul says, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. We could actually stop here. This is the key verse to my way of thinking of this entire section. What did they give that God really wanted? They gave themselves. They gave themselves to God. They gave their hearts their minds, their souls, their resources, and everything. They said, God, this is yours. Use it at your direction. Uh, he wants us, he, God wants us. Our money is far down the line. When he has our hearts, then he can move, he can do like just what he does with the kings. In Proverbs chapter, uh, tw- uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9. Good old fashioned. I didn't have any sticky notes, so I tore up a, one of the church bulletins. They get, I'm a scrounger. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand, is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to be able to turn our hearts wherever he wishes. He will move our hearts in whatever direction he deems most appropriate. Verse 6. So, we urge Titus. As he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Titus had been with them before and had most likely begun assembling the gift to the Jerusalem Christians. For whatever reason, the tension between Paul and the Corinthians seems to have, uh, that was generated when he took them to task, or for some other reason, the collection seems to have been derailed. So here, Paul, far from commanding them to do something, rather reminds them to pick back up what they started. Now, the Corinthians... As we're studying in Sunday school, we know that they had an improper attitude towards money. They were suing each other, other over silly things. Um, and often it invo- more often than not, it involved money. So, so there's a lot more going on behind the scenes here than is apparent when Paul reminds them to pick this collection back up. He reminds them to pick up what they had done, what they had started, and to finish it. Christians are to be finishers. We need to put our shoulders to the work that God has called us to and to finish it. Whether it's something that we can finish in a week, 
in a month or in a lifetime. The critical thing is to stay at it. In, in Luke, Jesus says this to his followers followers in chapter chapter 9, verse 62. Speaking to um, someone about discipleship, uh, they were asking about allowing themselves to bury the dead. And I, I want you to permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said this, but Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. By the grace of God, Christians are finishers. When they start something, they finish it. And that's a good thing. Unfinished tasks are so, such a bane, such a bane to live with. But as just, just as you abound in verse 7, and Paul is bragging about the Corinthians now, in stuff, in things, in character qualities that they didn't have when he wrote 1 Corinthians. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and also, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. A reminder, Corinthians, you excel in faith, you excel in speaking, you excel in knowledge, you excel in earnestness. Excel in this as well. And I'd like to, to, to give us some other scripture scriptural background as to what Paul is talking about here. First Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I don't know if I really take that seriously sometimes. Because the, you, know what, whatever, you know what whatever you do means? It means whatever you do. Whether you're splitting wood or starting a fire in the, or lighting a candle or, or eating potato chips... I shouldn't be doing that. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, do your work heartily as to the Lord, as for the Lord rather than for men. My wife often reminds me that I, I need to be grateful and hearty about the things that are going on in our lives. We have such abundance. I have friends. We belong to a body that loves the Lord. I have family. I have a, I'm working. I have cows. Okay, moving along to gratefulness. That was Colossians 3, chapter 23. 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's an amazing statement. Who's going to glorify him? We're doing the work. He's going to be glorified through Jesus Christ by grace. Through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Can I get an amen out of that? Amen. It is with this in mind that the Corinthians and we must act. When we speak, it should be to glorify the Father. When we serve, it should be in the strength that God gives us for his glory. Verse 8. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. The modern televangelists seem to think that they constantly have to remind you to give them your money. Probably nobody in here watches them, but that's what they do. Whether it's by urging you on the screen or sending you a letter or whatever, it's just if they think that the Holy Spirit, they don't think the Holy Spirit knows how to move his children to do his work. we got to help the Holy Spirit. He might be asleep at the wheel right now. He needs a little help reminding people. Paul doesn't command them. He just reminds them that when they obey God, it proves to others that their love and their faith is genuine. The funny thing is, though we all respond to more, more to actions than to words. And uh, 
Every one of us dislikes someone who's what they, they say all hat and no cowboy. In fact, those who don't speak much, you like that. Those who don't speak much or say things outwardly, but who busy, quietly busy themselves doing the work of God, those are the ones that, and I, I try to say this in a sanctified way, those are the ones that we should righteously envy. Not envy in such a way that we want to take it from them, but we want to emulate them. They're quiet, they're sincere, they're busy doing the work of God. You all know who they are. Or maybe you don't. And that's even a blessing as well. Like that person who left the groceries for us. I'll find out in glory. And then I'll be able to really thank them properly. We need to be envious of their service. Envious of their diligence. Envious of their ability to give glory to God by their work. Properly envious. Maybe that's the wrong choice of words. You thesaurus folks out there, pick a better one. Verse 8, verse 9, excuse me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for his your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now Paul returns to a familiar theme, a familiar refrain that he deals with in all of his epistles. He directs the attention of his readers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's service to us started long before he lay in a manger. At some point, he decided to voluntarily lay aside his wealth, the wealth wealth that cannot be categorized. It cannot be added up. It cannot be determined. But he laid it aside, and he, he assumed poverty on our behalf. This is a concept that I don't think we will ever fully understand until we are with him. And I... Here's one for you to think about. Are there certain things about God that even in our glorified state we'll just not get because he is so incredible? That's one of those things. Don't dwell on it too much because then you'll be doing angels on the head of a pin and all that stuff. But but it's just an interesting thought. I mean, God is far beyond the comprehension of a human. And uh, I think in glory, there's still going to be some things that are just so magnificent they'll be beyond our comprehension. This might be one of them. Um, Interestingly enough, Paul stresses that it was through Christ's poverty that we became rich. Sometimes it is such that in order for us to help others, we must sacrifice. Christ's exam- example of becoming poor teaches, teaches us, if nothing else, the relative imp- unimportance of material things. Everything here will burn, except for the relationships we have with other believers and our relationship with the Father himself. Then Paul says this in verse 10. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. Verse 11. But now, finish doing it also, so that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. So Corinthians, the Corinthians had actually started to give a year prior to this letter. They desired to do it. Their hearts were right. They began, but they didn't finish. Again, Paul encourages them to finish what they started. Uh, reading through and doing my study in Barclays, Barclays, uh, Commentary, he says this, the devil will let you resolve as much as you like, the more the better, just as long as you never carry it out. The tragedy of life so often is not that we have high impulses, but that we fail to turn them into actions. So what God is moving you to do, he will give you the grace, the power, and the ability to do it. Verse 12, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to to what he does not have. God will never call you to give what you don't have. Or he will supply it if you don't have it. 
one of the two. As we have mentioned before, tithing does not appear in the New Testament as a, a command. Many will, some will acknowledge that it can be considered some sort of a starting point, but Paul here is clearly saying that God will direct you to give according to what you have and according to what he wants you to give. It's not as if God doesn't know what your budget looks like. I think he knows how to read an Excel spreadsheet. Just make sure your spreadsheet's accurate. Then, according to what you have and according to what God directs, not what some televangelist, some elder, some deacon, some friend, some neighbor give. You married folks, give together in agreement. The fact is, for some, as as uh, who was it, the the, the machinery magnate, uh, Letourneau, for him, 10% wasn't enough. He gave 90%. And a lot of you say, well, yeah, if I made $200 million a year, I could give 90% and do just fine. But when he started, he was giving 90%. God called him to do that. He stood in responsibility to his his maker, not to other people for that. Televangelists don't know what that number is. Neither do we. God knows. And His Holy Spirit is far more able to direct properly than men are. God's Holy Spirit has been doing just fine for six millennia. Thank you very much. He knows exactly how to take care of His own. He knows exactly how to move His own to do what needs to be done. We don't need to be busybodying. I have to be reminded of that often. It's a, it's a difficulty I struggle with. We trust Him, and I know you do too. The Macedonians, Paul said, first gave themselves to God. They gave themselves to God. This is far more important, far more important. Those who have given themselves to God, they are then ready to do as he directs. Verse 13, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Verse 14, at this present time, your abundance being a supply, he's talking to the Corinthians, being a supply for their need, so that their abundance may also become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. Verse 15, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. These last three verses taken together are Paul's assurance that this gift will be used properly. And that's important to those that are giving, that their gifts be used properly. That those to whom it is being given are truly in need, and it will be administered honestly. The community of believers is often such that one person's abundance can be a supply for another's need, but it must be directed by God and not by deacons, not by elders, but by the Father. And those entrusted with its distribution must act responsibly and biblically in the use of those funds. And Paul is assuring the Corinthians that this was going to happen. So this morning... Uh, the principles from the last message in mind and dwelling as we normally do on a section of scripture that God gave us for our teaching. Let us understand the beauty and the delight and the joy that can come from giving. The purpose is always to arm us of our teaching here with God's word to do what he wants us to do in whatever area he brings us to. So in closing, the New Testament speaks with great clarity on the principles of giving. It teaches us that giving should be regular, planned, proportional, and private in 1 Corinthians 16. It, that it must be generous, freely given, and cheerful. And I just want to read that verse because this is this is this one was for me. You guys just get to hear it as well. First, Second Corinthians. Did I lose my place? I probably did. That's all right. Now, you kids that are in Sunday school, see how fast the preacher can find Second Corinthians. 
my grandchildren, when we come to church, they'll, they're asking me questions. How many books are in the Bible? How many words are in the Bible? How many commas are in the Bible? I love it. It's, what are they talking about? The Bible. Well, here it is. So in closing. Yeah, this slides down in. Sorry about that. Second Corinthians nine, verse seven. Let each one do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly under compulsion or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And if I remember right, I forgot to study that word out, but I think that word is the word from where we get the word hilarious. <laughs> I love giving is what God is talking about there. A delighted giving. The great delight of belonging to a body like this is knowing that as Paul says in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you, in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is our comfort and our delight belonging to such a fellowship of saints who are serious about giving themselves first to God, starting the things that God wants them to start and finishing what they start. May God continue to use us to his glory and in his service to one another. Let's pray. Father, it's not necessary sometimes for us to do this, but it's good for us to do it, and that is to just sit quietly for a moment in awe of how carefully and how wonderfully you take care of your children. There is not a need that is true that is not met. There is not a want that is true that is not met. But Lord, you supply, you give. From your hand comes every good thing. From the Father of lights, and there's no changing in you, no turning, no shadow, no concern that it will change. You are the same today. You are the same tomorrow. You are the same yesterday and indeed forever. And in that we trust. And this morning in that we are grateful for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.